Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, uh, this is John saying. Before I begin the first episode of the podcast, um, I have a few apologies that I just want to get out of the way so I can feel clear about this. Um, uh, I apologize to Ben Shapiro. Uh, you might have seen this the other day. Ben appeared on uh, the BBC, and a very conservative BBC journalist, Andrew Neil, ruthlessly held him to account for his previous statements, and he stormed off. And a lot of people said a lot of really mean things to Ben uh, all over social media. Um, you know, a lot of jokes about cut short, which uh, I would never do or even repeat. But um, I want to apologize to Ben Shapiro and say that the liberals were totally wrong to castigate you, bro. Uh, I would have stormed off of any show if they asked me to defend Ben Shapiro quotes. Also, apologize to Michael Avenatti, because uh, if it turns out that the court reveals that Avenatti is actually a thug who uses mob tactics and falsely inflates his assets and commits bank fraud, then I admit I was wrong. Uh, Mr. Avenatti, you really are qualified to run for president. And finally, before I begin, I just, I, I have to apologize to the president. Um, this podcast will deal quite a bit with him and the culture he's created and how to deal with it. But uh, I don't want to go lowbrow, and so I actually would like to apologize to Donald Trump for all of the mean names I've called him over the years on Twitter. Um, I'm very sorry for calling the president a corrosive meat goblin. It's not appropriate. Uh, truculent pus cluster. I wish I could take that back. Um, I regret calling him Putin's petulant prison punk. Uh, grift weasel. It was wrong to call him a less moral, less attractive, less healthy, less likable Nixon. Uh, I apologize for calling you a mendacious orc stool or an oversaturated knob. Uh, Darth Jabba, that wasn't nice. Uh, when I called you a, a noxious glob of congealed creamsicle colored spray tan goo. I know that's not cool, and um, it was wrong to call you Silvio Berlusconi ovary, but I like that name. I'm not taking that one back. Uh, wrong to call you a money laundering scrotal clot, Kim Jong Oops, the Bulgarian authoritarian organ, the Bulgarian authoritarian orangutan barbarian. Uh, that was a children's book I was working on. Uh, maladapted scat ghoul. I don't even know what that is. Uh, it sounded good at the time, Mr. President. Uh, I regret calling you a Fredo in a family of Fredos. Wrong to suggest that you are a fully grown and bloated King Joffrey Baratheon with untreated syphilis. And finally, uh, comb over Caligula. R wrong to do it uh, the hundreds of times I have called you that. But here's the thing to remember. Um, if you're ever feeling down about uh, the condition of the world and Donald Trump, uh, you can always do this yourself and make up your own insulting names for him. It's a very simple thing, but it is wrong because he is the president. So no one should ever make up their own names for the Trump, even though it is fun and it will make you feel better. Let's begin.
Welcome to The Sanity Check, the political comedy podcast about not going completely batshit. I'm John saying It's a pleasure to be with you. My overseas friends are always asking me, hey man, how do you handle raising a child when Donald Trump is president? I, I generally respond, actually, I can't even handle raising a child while Ben Affleck is Batman. But it is a good question. What do you do when the Christians elect Caligula? How do I tell a little boy in first grade, don't lie, don't be a bully, don't be racist, respect women, don't mock disabled people, do your homework, don't launder money for the Russians using New York real estate, don't fire the FBI director to obstruct justice because he's investigating you and then confess the whole thing to Lester Holt. We've all been there, folks. Here's the point. We're in a point now where we are all being gaslit by this administration, and depression is a disease, negativity is a habit, sanity is the opposite of Hannity, and if we're all in this together, then despair is privilege. It's scary. They want you to give up. They want you to not vote. They won when 46% of Americans stayed home in 2016. Never forget, Hillary Clinton came in second. Apathy came in first in 2016. Despair is privilege. Get out of the game, get yourself sane, get back in, because we all need you. My name is John Fugelsang, and I'm an actor, I'm a comedian, I'm a radio show host, I'm a TV show host. I do a show every day on Sirius XM on the Insight Channel. I've been murdered on CSI, I've done stand-up overseas for the troops, I once interviewed two Beatles on different continents in the same week, and I have been picketed by Westboro Baptist Church. And for the past couple of years, I've been colluding with Stephanie Miller for her sexy liberal tour, in which I play the role of tour. She gave me a call and asked me if I would uh, do a podcast for the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you for joining us on this unholy experiment. In this show, we're going to use humor, we're going to use facts, we're going to use history, we're going to use culture. It's all about staying sane in insane times. Sometimes I'll have a sidekick, sometimes it'll just be me, sometimes this will be a recording from live on stage. The whole point of this is, there are many, many political podcasts out there. Uh, I'm not claiming to be the smartest or the funniest or the best looking. This is about talking you off the ledge when you need it. And for a show about sanity, I'm very proud to tell you that our first guest will be two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Mr. David Crosby. Um, he's a legendary singer-songwriter, and I think he knows more about learning and seeking sanity than just about anybody else I know. We're also going to close this in every episode with a special segment we think you'll like called Ask a Trump Defender, where every week... We're building a library of actual questions that your Trump-defending loved ones have never been asked. They're harmless. They're well-intentioned. They're kind of difficult for certain people to answer. We're going to run down some of the worst offenders of the week in politics, recommend some sources of inspiration, hopefully come up with some useful tips to remind you that through all of this, you need your outrage, you need your intellect, you need your rest, and you need a sense of humor. Because you can get all despondent and check out, or you can Google Rick Perry eats a corn dog in front of a painting. Have a giggle. You deserve it. Get back in the game. I'll pause now while you all Google Rick Perry eats a corn dog in front of a painting. Look, John Lennon said, when it gets down to having to use violence, then you are playing the system's game. The establishment will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight. Because once they've got you violent, then they know how to handle you. The only thing they don't know how to handle is nonviolence and 
humor. This is the Sanity Cast. It's my first podcast, so uh, go easy on me. So my overseas friends, they, they, they do keep calling me and they, they ask me to explain what's going on in our country. What happened to America? For a while I was telling them, well, America's like a mob restaurant that is now being burned down for the insurance money. Then for a while I said, well, it's, it's sort of like um, America elected the O.J. Bronco chase to be president, except we're all in the Bronco and the gun is to our heads and for some reason Al Cowlings is speaking Russian. It's hard to explain. I, I've come down to just calling what's happening in our country now. What the fuck fatigue? To me, it sums up the level of gaslighting we're receiving. The tidal wave of disinformation and rubbish and half-truths. The bullshit and corruption and malfeasance that never ends. Do you remember when Joe Arpaio was in trouble? Joe Arpaio is a a famous uh, racist sheriff from the great state of Arizona. I once did a show in his Maricopa County prison with Bill Maher. That was the tent prison where they had them sleeping in old Vietnam War tents and made them wear the striped pajamas like the Hamburglar. Um, Joe Arpaio was going out and rounding up brown people every night, and eventually he was such a racist sheriff that Arizona had to say, bro, you're too racist to be a sheriff in Arizona. Um, That was 425 what-the-fucks ago. It's been forgotten that Donald Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio with no retrials, no time served, just, here you go, here's a pardon, and that sent a signal to everybody else of what would happen if you were a dirty, crooked racist, but made him happy. We've had so many what-the-fucks that our outrage circuits are burned out. And in the last 10 days or so from when this is being recorded, we found out that our president wasn't just a bad businessman. We kind of knew that. We found out he was literally the worst businessman in America, that he lost $100 million a year on the average for 10 straight years. And he tried to say, it's okay that I was the worst businessman because I'm also a tax cheat. That was kind of his defense. And friends, if Donald Trump can blow $100 million of his daddy's money every year for 10 years, imagine what he's already blowing for you. This same week, Trump's attorney general was held in contempt of Congress. The president and his kids, his daughter Ivanka and his sons Fredo and Shemp, they're suing Deutsche Bank to keep his finances hidden. He just declared that uh, special prosecutor Robert Mueller shouldn't testify. His top cop bar is ignoring a subpoena to produce the unredacted Mueller report before Congress. He threatened to sue his own schools if they ever released his education records. Michael Cohen told us that. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, who once produced Keanu and the Lego Batman movie, is now breaking the law to keep the president's tax returns hidden so we don't know where his money comes from. I demand this president show us his long-form worth certificate. But I'm not even done. This same week in What the Fuck Fatigue, his son got subpoenaed. White House counsel Don McGahn will not comply with a congressional subpoena. The White House is ordering people to obstruct justice because they say the report exonerates them from obstructing justice. 500 former federal prosecutors just came out and said our president should be charged with multiple felonies. Oh, oh, I'm not done. He had a phone call. Uh, with his friend Vladimir Putin. He won't talk with Mueller about Putin, but he will talk with Putin about Mueller. So remember, uh, MAGA friends, the report, and William Barr's cliff notes confirm Russia attacked America, but Trump has ignored our military, refuses to enforce sanctions, and won't do anything to prevent the next one. 
All this and Billy Joel turned 70. And I can't blame all of those things on Donald Trump. But you, you, Rudy Giuliani just flies over to the Ukraine to work with their government, uh, collude, some might verb, to try to get damaging information on Joe Biden's son. And liberals, you can mock Giuliani for trying to do that to influence an election, but Trump did promise him an entire case of true blood. I mean, this is all happening, and R. Kelly is saying, I can't believe they're doing all this shit right out in the open. So this is what the fuck fatigue. Let it out, brothers and sisters, because we live in a time when millions of our fellow Americans think climate change is fake, but pro wrestling is real. When football jocks are the leading moral voices of resistance, when conservatives who used to, you know, not trust you if you didn't hate Russia, now hate you if you don't trust Russia, and where Democrats and liberals are forever locked in a cage match of death called fuck you for only agreeing with me on 85% of things. This is a time when nobody hates like a Christian who's just been told their hate isn't Christian. When followers of Jesus are voting against everything Jesus ever talked about, all about abortion, which Jesus never talked about, when politicians are trying to make the abortion rate go down by making it harder for women to get birth control, and where millions of Christians say they think a talking snake was literal fact, but love your enemies was just Jesus being all metaphorical and shit. We're in a time when legal cannabis is more popular than the two political parties keeping legal cannabis illegal. If it feels like we're the U.S. of PTSD, there's good news. You're not insane. The rest of the world is. And I realize I just ended a sentence with a preposition, but I'm sorry. Ending a sentence with a preposition is not something I have a problem with. Here's some news. Here's a little segment about real news headlines, which I call, really, it's not you. A lot happened this week, and here are some stories that, in my broadcasting, I felt the mainstream media could have dwelled on a little bit more, like Texas Senator Brian Hughes' new bill, S uh, Bill 9, which will disallow the driving of elderly, disabled, or poor people to the polls. This bill would ban efforts with vans full of elderly people from nursing homes or disabled people or poor people who don't have cars. Any of that would now be illegal in Texas. This proves an inconvenient truth about the American right wing. They, they run for office saying they hate government. I think you'll find that's not true. Um, the U.S. right wing loves government. They love government. Government is how they redistribute wealth to the upper 1%. Government is how they protect their power and privilege. What they hate is democracy. They will never do anything to reign in government. They spend worse than anyone, but they'll do all they can to reign in one person, one vote. Donald Trump was tweeting about the Kentucky Derby, and um, he said uh, the Kentucky Derby decision was not a good one. It was a rough and tumble race on a wet and sloppy track. Actually, a beautiful thing to watch. Only in these days of political correctness could such an overturn occur. The best horse did not win the Kentucky Derby, not even close. I don't really do an impression, but that tweet was amazing because Donald Trump discussed the injustice of somebody coming in second but still winning by a technicality. It's like karma having a three-way with irony and Satan. 
Remember the 500 federal, former federal prosecutors who all said the president of the United States should be indicted? Well, in their statement, the media didn't cover this. They, they identified three acts described in the Mueller report that they believe satisfy all the elements of an obstruction charge. Memorize these. Number one, Trump's efforts to fire Mueller and to falsify evidence about his efforts. Number two, Trump's effort to limit the scope of Mueller's investigation to exclude his conduct. He did that. And number three, Trump's efforts to prevent witnesses from cooperating with investigators. Here's one you might have overlooked. Uh, we already know that Donald Trump's administration has taken the muzzle off of predatory lenders and all those charming true romantics who preyed on the gullible and helped bring about the financial collapse. Well, we've got a Dodd-Frank to make that easier for them to do again. But now, now, here's a story your media didn't cover. Under new rules, debt collectors are legally allowed to send unlimited texts and emails. They're trying to update federal debt collection rules for the first time in more than four decades, so the Trump administration has released proposed new regulations that left neither debt collectors nor consumer groups really satisfied. But under the new regulations, debt collectors can send an unlimited number of text messages and emails to delinquent borrowers. Again, this is the same guy who unmuzzled the predatory lenders, so remind the low-income white people in your life that he is doing this. Here's a fun story. The one thing that makes adults most likely to vape, adults living with children are more likely to vape than those without. This is according to uh, a research letter published in the journal JAMA Pediatrics. 4.9% um, of American adults living with someone 18 or under reported using e-cigarettes. 4.2% of adults living in households without children. You know what this means? This means less than 5% of us are actually vaping. So who the hell is putting up all these vape stores. This is the deep state. Here's one more for you, and this is important. Okay is now worth six points in Scrabble. The two-letter word, okay. The official International Scrabble Dictionary updates their list of approved words uh, usually every year or so. Now it's the first time in almost four years, and they've added over 2,800 words. And it's a wide array of coinages, but the new words include okay, uh, genderqueer, bay, B-A-E, dad bod, and uh, best of all, anti-vaxxer, now allowed in Scrabble, and apparently in the White House as well. Finally, the number of the day, 2045. That is the year where the U.S. is projected to become a majority-minority population. Now, next year, in 2020, the entire under-18 population will be majority non-white. In less than a decade, the population under age 30 will be majority non-white. It's largely due to the trends uh, in Hispanic and Asian immigrants and slightly higher birth rates among non-white people. And some white people often feel, what shall we say, threatened by growing diversity. In other words, they freak out when that car next to them at the red light is playing rap music. But um, a Pew Research Center survey found that 59% of Republicans and 46% of Caucasians said a majority non-white population will weaken American culture. Donald Trump and many other politicians are here to capitalize on these fears and this polarization. And it works 
you scare white people into thinking that someone's here to take their privilege away, that's an effective voting block that is driven by anxiety about immigration. When there's no crisis at the border, just keep saying it. Uh, people who are terrified of religious issues and diversity. And younger generations are already more likely to be biracial. People of two or more races are projected to be the fastest growing racial or ethnic group over the next few decades. So just keep one thing in mind. The majority of poor Americans voted for Secretary Clinton in 2016. The majority of poor and struggling Americans went for the Democratic candidate. It's not about economic anxiety. And when all these races pop up, what I tell people overseas is, uh, let me explain how our races work in America. America's like an old couch, and Trump is the blacklight. Here's a little segment we do now and then called the Dick List. It's sort of a listery of dickery. Uh, dickishness, like sexuality or gender or the president's marital status, is fluid. So you can be a dick one day and then redeem yourself. That is sort of what most great drama is based on. So uh, I'm going to tell you a few people who are on the Dick List this week. But remember, I'm not saying they're a dick for life. Men can redeem themselves whenever they feel like it. Number one on the list, of course, Attorney General William Barr. Now, um, when Barr first released his summary of the Mueller report, I was in the cab going to L.A., to, to the airport to catch a flight to L.A., and I read it in the back seat. And I got to admit, Barr's memo made me sick. Well, not, I mean, not, not the memo itself. I was in the back of the cab. That you, you shouldn't read there. Um, but now we found out as the weeks have gone by that um, William Barr has covered up more shit than cat litter. Let me tell you, it's fitting that he released the Mueller report on Holy Thursday, because the same day an innocent brown man was arrested, a guilty white dude may have walked free. Uh, my whole thing with it was it was so heavily redacted. I mean, it was so redacted. It was like it was like my three-way with Courtney Love and Liza Minnelli. Um, I just hope William Barr hires a better defense attorney than William Barr when all is said and done. But. I, uh, look, I'm not going to be mean to the guy. I'll just say that when I look at William Barr, he, he looks like Ralphie from A Christmas Story, if he never got the air rifle and then spent the next 60 years punishing people for it. And liberals who want to mock William Barr because in his testimony it was revealed he didn't even know what the Emoluments Clause was. Y'all should remember, that's probably why Trump wanted him in the first place. At the end of the day, William Barr's final great gift to American culture may be a reminder Dude, don't read the cliff notes. Number two on the dick list, Jerry Falwell Jr. This one's close to my heart because I debated his dad, Jerry Falwell Sr. on The Bill Maher Show. And, of course, we learned last year that Jerry Falwell and his wife had um, a friend, according to Reuters, a young person that's called a pool boy in professional circles, a pool boy they met who they flew around on their private jet and loaned $1.8 million to so he could start up a business. There's some jokes made, and then it was forgotten. And then in the last 10 days, a new report has surfaced saying that uh, this same guy, Reverend Jerry Falwell Jr., who runs Liberty University, we'll talk about them a lot on this show, he went to Michael Cohen and said he had a problem with embarrassing photos, photos that are between a husband and wife. Um, Michael Cohen, moral beacon that he is, solved this problem. It appears to have been a quid pro quo situation where he made some embarrassing photos go away. And uh, in turn, Falwell became the first major revoltingly fake Christian evangelical leader to publicly endorse Donald Trump. 
The interesting thing, the reporter is the same Reuters reporter who covered the story of the pool boy. Now, just connect some dots if you would. It's completely unprofessional, but he and his wife have this young friend who is a pool boy who they fly around on their jet with them, and they loan him uh, almost $2 million. And there's some embarrassing photos that they want to get rid of, and Michael Cohen helps make the problem go away. Look, if Reverend Falwell Jr. and his wife are in some way cavorting with a pool boy, my problem is that would make him more likable, okay? Um, Jerry Falwell Jr. endorsed Donald Trump. They're both, they're both revoltingly fake Christians. And Falwell Jr. is a disgrace to his father. And his father was a segregationist who built whites-only schools and defended apartheid. Not cool. Number three on the dick list, uh, Robert E. Lee, commander of the Confederate forces. Um, Donald Trump had the most creative, creative way of uh, pushing back on accusations of racism. Joe Biden released his presidential video, and these days my favorite film genre is Democrats running for president and their announcement videos, but his video was all about Trump and Charlottesville and the very fine people on both sides. Well, deep in the bowels of the White House, Stephen Miller took a break from feasting on the blood of orphans and wrote Donald Trump the best talking point, which was uh, he said that those people were just really, really upset because people were trying to take down the Robert E. Lee statues. Our president says he wasn't defending white supremacists. He was just defending the people who were defending monuments to white supremacy. This proves that every ignorant racist is ignorant that he is racist. And here's one thing, friends. If you wouldn't own 200 humans as slaves and torture them and break up almost every family but one on your plantation by selling off children or parents, if you wouldn't kill hundreds of thousands of Americans to protect a culture of humans as property and white supremacy. If you wouldn't execute surrendering black troops, then congratulations, you are a better human than Robert E. Lee. And by the way, also, if you would never go to war against a more densely populated and industrialized nation, you are probably a better military commander than Robert E. Lee as well. Number four on the dick list, fentanyl. Just, I hate it, it's awful. Fentanyl killed Tom Petty and Prince. We got to do something. And finally, number five on the dick list, me. I, I deserve to be on here. I, I am a dick as well. Um, here's what happened. Uh, I, I was, I was uh, posting on Facebook because I, I subscribed to a Turner Classic Movies Facebook page, and it asked, who's the greatest horror movie actor of all time? And all I did was type Melania Trump. And then I got a four-day suspension. And uh, this has never happened to me on Facebook before, so I took to Twitter and I complained about it, and Turner Classic Movies wrote me, uh, and it turns out it was just a Turner Classic Movies fan page on Facebook. I was wrong. I am on the dick list. I deserve it. And I also wanted to make a joke about, you know, when Ben Shapiro's interview was cut short, I, I wanted to make a joke that cut short was also his name on Grinder, But I didn't do it. I do have a savage tongue, but a politically correct muzzle. My magnificent first yeah, no. guest is one of our most acclaimed singer-songwriters. He is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for two different bands and deserves to be in for a third one because Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young is its own distinct band. This is a man who I think uh, helped end the war in Vietnam. This is a man who is putting out some of the greatest music of his career right now, four albums in five years that will make you say, oh, I don't need a reunion of anything. This man is the subject of a new documentary. 
directed by our mutual friend AJ and produced by Cameron Crowe, uh, a brutally honest documentary. This man is Mr. David Crosby. Hello, sir. Hi, man. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm really kind of unreasonably happy. I'm out here on the road. I'm in, I don't know, East Jesus, Nebraska, someplace, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and but I'm like, I'm totally happy. I'm sitting outside a gig and uh, hanging out with the guys working on the bus. And um, I, you know, I love my gig. I guess that's it. I just really do. Uh, we've done three gigs so far, and, they, and they've been spectacular. So I'm very, very happy. Yeah. You know, have you ever felt more personal artistic commercial freedom to say whatever the hell you want than you have the last couple of years? Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of freedom in the other bands. I really did. It, they were competitive bands, and we were not, you know, it was more trying to compete with each other than 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 help each other. But I think we did good work. But I, I yeah, I frankly I feel so much more encouraged by the cooperative attitude of the people that I work with now. They're all people. We all work this, in this very respectful of each other way. And all very, we trust each other a lot, so we really aren't afraid to contribute to each other. It really works. And, yeah, I think it's probably the most artistic freedom and the most satisfying work I can I, I could possibly be doing. I'm just really happy with it. Yeah, the first time we met, you told me about the band Snarky Puppy, and then you just began working with the members. And uh, I, I'm so inspired by how working with younger musicians – uh, and doing different kinds of arrangements just has stimulated your creativity even more. Yeah, it has. Uh, well, you know, it started with my son, James. He's yes, the, the first and biggest and best contributor because he's the, my best writing partner. But, yeah, Michael Leake and then introducing me to Becca Stevens and then Michelle Willis changed my life. These people are, are some of the most talented people I ever met in my life, and they all – they're all in it for the same reason I am, man. They they just don't give a shit about celebrity, and they don't give. They really don't care about uh, stardom and crap. They they really want to get the music, you know, and that that's their whole life. And it's yeah. my life, and that's the kind of people I want to hang out with. I I really don't like celebrity. I don't like fame. I don't like any of those concepts. They all get in the way of the music. So hanging with people who who are just eat, live, and breathe music Yeah, is just a joy for me, man. You know, you've watched me with these people. I'm really happy with them. They're, they're good. No, I, I think it's like, it's, it's, I mean, it seems like it's always been your, your spiritual path to me. But, like, after these four records, again, they're Cross, Lighthouse, Sky Trails, and here if you listen, uh, honestly, you and Robert Plant are the two artists who have made me say, I don't care if these guys ever have a reunion. I know every interview you do, they ask you about a reunion. But honestly, the work you're doing now kind of makes me just hungry for more of the work you're doing now. And that's going to kind of feel good at 77 to be, you know, refining and redefining your own sound. It feels fantastic. You know, it's funny you mentioned, Robert, because Plant's another example. Like, I didn't even really like how Robert Plant sang in, in the Zep, man. He, everybody else did because he was thrilling, right? But mm -hmm. how he started singing after he finished with the Zep is when I started really loving his singing. He's <laughs> doing beautiful work. Yeah, that really album is. he made with Alice, man, that was beautiful. Beautiful record, you know, yeah. Yeah, the guy, I, 
I don't think your career ends when you're not in 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 the stadiums anymore. I, I think sometimes that's just when you you know hit your stride and do even better work. James Taylor's last record was stunning. It was yes. as good as anything he's ever done. It was brilliant. You know, when I see that kind of work coming out of people at this stage of the game, I can I can guarantee you those are people whose life is music. It's They're just, the ones, you know. Is it fair to say that, you know, creativity and live performance and just inspiration are the drugs for sanity that really work? Yes. It's fair to say exactly that. Thank you very much, John. <laughs> well, no, well, no, because I think you know, I mean, your your struggles have been really, really public, and you have been fearless in talking about them. And it, I understand that whole notion uh, of an artist to think that you'll find sanity within insanity. Um, and probably, if you hadn't gone through the troubles you went through, you wouldn't be in the great, creative, happy place you're in now. Well, your troubles shape you. I grant you that. I think mm, I don't know if it, if you count it as positive effects or not. Pairing off, you know, dross and leftovers, it definitely happens to you. I think if I had not spent as much time, you know, making the mistakes that I made, I would have had more time to make music. I might, I might not. I think I would have wound up the same guy, but but happier. But I think I would have not wasted so much time. That's my biggest beef with the drug time. Yeah. Wasting all that time just being smashed instead of using that time making music, which is what I'm obviously supposed to be doing. I mean, in many ways, it seems like you were trying to manage your own intensity for a lot of years. And, and it makes me wonder, like, how do you fight the devil, Claus? How, how do you stay sane when you're very up on the news and you're paying attention to what's going on? And it seems like the price of awareness can be anguish and frustration and, and devastation over how fucked up the world is. How are you keeping yourself sane and balanced watching all this going around? Well, you know, that's a good point. I I watched my friends and I watched the world being, you know, hit with what we're going through here in our, in this country. And, and I I have trouble with it. I, I learned a trick, man. Back when we were trying to stop the Vietnam War, I learned a trick, which was that uh, I, I – I started to be, have trouble keeping myself above ground. I, I would be watching the evening news and Walter Cronkite, and, and they'd started doing this thing where they, they listed everybody who died that day. Yeah. And they'd show you their faces. And I'd see all these young, good, decent people, and, and I'd know that they died that day in a war that shouldn't have even be going on, you know, and for no purpose at all. And I'd started to sink me. It started to make it so I couldn't stay above water. And so I started turning down the gain a little bit. I started putting more distance between me and that information to try and just just to try and stay afloat, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because uh, it, it can I, – I, maybe I'm too sensitive, but it, it, it can throw me for a loop. And so I've had to do pretty much the same thing with Trump. He's – He's a disaster to me. The guy's like a spoiled child that's broken into his dad's office where he was never allowed to go, and he's running around peeing on all the papers. <laughs> I'll show you. He's a bad kid, and he's hurting the country. And it's, it, So it's hard for me to look at 
I want to stop it, and I can't wave a magic wand and stop it. Yeah. But God knows I want to. You know, I, what I have been doing is trying to write the song. We need a fight song. We need a, a an Ohio or a We Shall Overcome, <clears throat> something like that. Yeah. And I've been trying to encourage other people to do it, too, to try and just get one. But I think we're all going to have to get out in the street. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to have to going to have to do a lot of marching, and I think it's going to take everybody and a lot of voting. Well, I mean, you uh, know, I, going to be a, I do give you guys a watershed moment for the United uh, States of America, I think. I, I think it's what, you know, at least a third of us, hopefully more than that, are praying for. But, I mean, in, in your case, I really do give you guys credit for helping end the war. I, I think that your band deserves credit for, for all that you – I mean, you guys put your commercial viability on the line for moral reasons. And I'm curious, is there anyone right now, David – in in art or politics or activism, who really inspires you, who's really turning you on and, and making you find the fight within yourself? I like uh, I like a lot of people. I I don't see the thing that disturbs me is that that the people who are really big now are the pop people. Yeah. They're not they're not uh, you know singer songwriters like me. They're they're pop you know gods and goddesses, and they seem to be pretty cowardly about sticking up for politics or the country or trying to fight racism or yeah i just wish i wish more of the really big people in the, in the country were able to stick up for what they believe in some do you know but yeah. there's, there's people like kanye you know he's so busy celebrating himself that he doesn't really understand that he could help yeah, I agree, people. and, and there are even, so many. probably doesn't even occur to him, you know. I mean, there. I think most of the, I have seen a couple. I'll tell you a couple. Uh, Common. Yeah. And Chance. Yep. And you know how I don't like rap, but I gotta say, Chance, it's like he says some really good things, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I've and I've seen the same from Common. So there are people in the, even in that world who are willing to stick up for the right end. And, you know, there's lots of us who are anti-war and, and anti-racism, but I, I don't see enough of – I, I, I want to see the big people. I want to see Beyonce. Well, I mean, she put it on the line for, for Hillary Clinton, at least. I mean, she, she campaigned hard for she Hillary. Did, but, 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 yeah, I'm with you. I mean, like, I, I think, you know, Bob Dylan hasn't really done anything political in 30-odd years, and – I keep thinking what you. About that? Yeah, well, that's but that's his choice as an artist. I don't I don't impose my values on another artist. They don't have to be political if they don't want. But like you, John Lennon was a guy. I know you were very good friends, and and he he never really seemed to care about how much it would hurt his record sales. He was willing to write a song like Attica State and piss off people. And I, I guess oh, I'd absolutely. like to see more. I mean, what, I, wish I, I, I wish he I'll was alive right like. now. Go ahead. I tell you who I like so far of the uh, upcoming people. Yeah. I think he's got a conscience, and he's writing about real shit. Is uh, uh, Jason Isbell? Oh yeah, he's I like it. I like his words. Well, I he writes good words, man, and you know how rare that is. You know that's just not common. Yeah, he he to um, me could redeem modern country or or Americana. I guess uh, I think he's a powerful yeah. artist. Yeah, and there's he, there's rappers who do it, yeah, but but in terms and of you know, there's other singer songwriters who do, but not enough for me. 
and and certainly not enough presence out of the the big end of the pop act. Uh, I I I think they need to, you know, grow a pair and stand up and, and speak, and tell their managers to fuck off, you know, because that's basically <laughs> what's going on. Well, you know how it works. They say I want to go to this march, and the manager says, "Oh, that'll look bad, and, uh, and you may not get the, uh, the uh, you know." Yeah, you might oh, not get to shit. perform on the Billboard Awards if you go to an anti-torture march. Really? Exactly. And and man, if your conscience tells you to stand up on your hind legs and and raise your hand and say, "I believe," then God damn it, do it. Don't David, let anybody get in your way. I, I want to ask you something. Um, what do you think is the difference between uh, pleasure and happiness? I think you've had a good amount of experience with both, but it, what, what do you think is the difference? Well, one is deeper than the other. You know, pleasure, well, you and I have had probably more than our share of pleasure, and I don't think we should get too specific about how, but but we've had lots. <laughs> happiness, happiness comes from, okay, this is going to sound corny, but you know what? My biggest happiness is, has come from making somebody else happy. Yeah. My biggest joy in my marriage is that I can do something to make my wife smile, make her heart feel good. That's when I feel like I'm really, really doing the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, pleasure is great, but it's it's transient. It, it comes It and is, and, and being happy... That's different. That's that usually has something to do with me that I've made my family happy or that I've made an audience happy. That then I feel complete. Well, that's I think what I love so much about your live shows now, Cross, is that you're a guy who's who's really living in the moment, and I, I think you always have, uh, in in good times and in bad, you're you're never going to get mired in nostalgia like like the best artists. And I was thinking the other day because I saw a picture of a of our friend Joni Mitchell at an art gallery, and I'm glad she's she's getting out, but it's got to be strange. Like, when you and Joni were involved, I'm sure it never occurred to you that people who weren't alive yet would still be talking about that relationship in your 70s. It must be strange to do interviews where people want to talk about things that happened half a century ago. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's weird. <laughs> but it's not, you know, not impossible. It's just a little odd. You can, yeah. it's, it's, you can deal with it. Absolutely. You deal with it. Um, There's a girl, a very pretty girl, walking by me with a box full of balloons, and I think, what is that shit? (laughs) Very random. She says a box full of random. Well, Well, pretty. Give her that. uh, Maybe she's on her clown school um david before i let you go i'm really <laughs> grateful that you're you're doing this and this this podcast is is uh going to be all about finding sanity in the age of trump um and and you're someone i look to who's who's been walking that path a long time but you you're well, very difficult yeah it's very difficult go ahead i'm sorry go ahead oh that's okay but your your new documentary um uh produced by by cameron crow you really go there in this film, and you know you haven't been shy about talking about you know your failings, your your uh, the, the people that that you know you've you've had problems with with former bandmates. I mean, we had McGuinn on my Sirius XM show a couple of weeks ago, and that man just loves you to death, but he'll talk about it too. Uh, why why did you want to go ahead and and do this film and just lay it all out there? Did it just feel like the time, or is this just who you are always? It's 
it has to do a lot with Cameron. Now, Cameron, right, he's known me since he was 15, right? Mm-hmm. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you saw Almost Famous. Well, he was the kid. We were the band. Mm-hmm. Us and Led Zeppelin. That's uh, right. And he, uh, he's known me since then. And he, he knows me really well. And he's, uh, he was honest enough as a guy that he didn't want to do the kind of documentary that they do these days where it's just a shine job. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, you know, oh, I've, I've discovered California and invented electricity and art IQ. And he didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't either. I don't think there's any, you know, the reason you do it for your own self is the catharsis. You you can be honest about a problem, you can look at it, and then you can set it down. Well, you can't do that unless you're honest to look at it in the first place. Yeah. And uh, And furthermore, listen, you know, setting aside who the documentary is about, any documentary about anyone, why are you doing it? What is it you want to know? I want to know why they did what they did. I want to know what matters to that person. I want to know what's going on inside them. I want to know what hurts them, what gives them joy. I, that's the shit I want to know. Yeah. So we we all felt like that. AJ and I and Cameron all felt like that. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to do a shallow thing, so we did an honest thing. And I think it's probably going to be disturbing to some people. You know, they're used to the shine job. Yeah. But it's what we wanted to do, and we did it, and I'm proud of it. So, David, thank you for redefining authenticity every time you walk on stage or in front of a microphone. <laughs> Seriously, man, you, you give me so much inspiration as a person, but also as a as a performer to not be afraid to just let it all out there and turn pain into gold. And I think that's what you do for, for many, many people. I, I hope everyone goes to see you on the new tour. I think the live shows you're doing and the new music you're making is some of the most exciting stuff you've ever done. And I'm I'm really honored you would uh, be my first guest on this unholy experiment. So thank you so much. I treasure intelligence, John Fugel saying, and that is why I love to speak with you. Thank you, Mr. Crosby. Our thanks once again to David Crosby for being our first guest on this unholy experiment. Um, Really quick, here's a little segment we call Inspiration Nation because I know it's down, I know it's scary. Sometimes you don't have good movies or songs or albums or books to turn to, but now is more important than ever to find culture in your life. And if that means theater, if that means going to galleries and museums, if that means going to see films, uh, reading great books, uh, I, I... taking an improv class, whatever works for you. But right now is more important than ever to dance, play, have good sex, be around people, take your head out of politics where you can, and then get back in the game, because we do need you. Um, So here's a couple things I recommend if you're down about the state of politics in the world, and every week I'll add to this list a little bit. When's the last time you watched Richard Attenborough's Gandhi with Ben Kingsley? Watch it just for the scene where Gandhi has helped broker a peace deal between the Muslims and the Hindus through his hunger strike, and where a Hindu man explains that he killed a Muslim boy and he knows he's going to hell. And watch it just for how Gandhi explains a way out of hell. It will restore your faith in humanity. Also, Oliver Stone's Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise. It's 30 years old this year. It's a film that needs to be seen again and again. It's more powerful than ever. It'll make you proud to resist government's corrupt actions. 
if you're going kind of crazy and you need some good music, Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Beautiful record. You'll fall in love. Dinah Washington, Dinah Jams, one of the finest live records ever. Listen for the opening track of Lover Come Back to Me, which has a piano solo, a drum solo, and an upright bass solo. This record will get you on your feet. And now here's the Sanity playlist. This will not be a hip playlist. It's, it's, it's going to be songs that I turn to and people recommend for when you feel burdened by life. It's not going to be stuff like Imagine or What a Wonderful World or Lou Reed's Perfect Day. By the way, who keeps putting Lou Reed's Perfect Day on, on feel-good songs? I knew a girl in England made that her wedding song. I'm like, have you listened to the words? You're going to reap just what you sow? No. Here's some songs that will get your toes tapping and make you feel human again. Uh, number one, Take a Minute, a song from an album called Troubadour by Kanon, who's a Somali-Canadian hip-hop artist. Came out about 10 years ago. The record's terrific. Mos Depp is on it. Damian Marley's on it. Uh, but... Take a Minute is a song that will fill you with inspiration. His lyrics are gorgeous, and he speaks from the soul. I take inspiration from the most heinous of situations, creating medication out of my own tribulations. Check it out. Kanon, Take a Minute. Number two, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Listen to it every morning if you need to. Number three, The Day by The Roots, featuring Blue, Fonte, and Patti Crash. Number four, a man who to my mind, should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as the godfather of hip-hop, Gil Scott Heron. You probably know uh, the revolution will not be televised, but check out Lady Day and John Coltrane. It is a resistance anthem, and it will fill you with hope. And then Brandi Carlile, The Joke. Enough said. Check her out. Couple of gigs coming up. Uh, I'll be playing at the Broadway Comedy Club on Wednesday, the 22nd of May. Friday, the 31st of May, I'm doing a reading of my new show in Beacon, New York. It's tentatively called um, Unprecedented. It's the story of a uh, comedian trying to raise a toddler while his country is electing one. I'll also be doing that at the Crane Theater in the East Village of New York City on Thursday, May 6th, and in Los Angeles, location to be named, on Thursday, May 13th. This is where we're also going to have the comment section every week, where I respond to emails and DMs and tweets, etc. So please, please go to, for now, uh, johnfugelsang.com and send me a message there, or write on Twitter or on Facebook, and we will read your comments or questions or suggestions or rebukes, threats, awkward exchanges, and promises of glory. Go to johnfugelsang.com. This is... The Political Sanity Cast, and I'm John saying Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you've had a good time. Uh, as we evolve and grow, we'll have a lot more guests and panels and celebrities and live stuff. So thank you for being here at the very early crude fumblings of my first ever podcast. Um, we're going to close every show with a segment called Ask a Trump Defender. This is a hashtag campaign that'll be all over uh, Twitter, and I'm going to be building it every week. And every week, it's, it's going to be on Facebook, and you're invited to join it. And these are questions sincerely intended for you to ask the Donald Trump defenders in your life, that neighbor, uh, your coworker, that cousin, uh, the guy with the bald eagle wallpaper fetish, um, maybe it's, you know, the guy you went to high school with who never quite learned the difference between your and your. Well, if you're going to debate these people, I, I generally recommend you do it in a public setting, around a group or, or in a civil online debate. I don't believe in having toxic debates in a vacuum. The only way to do this is, is with an audience. No hate, no gotchas here, no antagonism. If you want to ask these people these questions in private, go ahead. Just don't get drawn into a fight. These are simple questions that Trump defenders 
should have to answer. Now, I don't think these are going to wake up anybody from the Matrix to realize they've been conned by a con man. It won't work that way, but you might find these questions will sway bystanders. Maybe you'll sway the person you're debating's kids and family if they're around. It might be enough to permeate the Fox bubble enough so they'll realize when it all cracks open and they realize they have been hoodwinked and bamboozled and led astray, just like they were under Bush Cheney, they'll know that you're a friend who won't be smug. Well, not too smug, at least. These are questions to ask a Trump defender. Question one. So all American intelligence agencies and the Mueller report, the Barr memo, they all confirm it. Russia attacked America with the intention of interfering in a presidential election. That's not a hoax. So question number one. How much foreign interference in American elections is acceptable to you? Make them answer it. Number two, without mentioning Hillary Clinton, why would you vote for a man who stole money from American veterans with a scam online university? And part two, do you know how much money Donald Trump had to pay for his education fraud? The answer, by the way, 25 million. They won't know. Number three, ask a Trump defender, is it okay for a president to use the office to punish specific businesses he doesn't like? He wanted to do that for Jeff Bezos. So, you know, ask your defending friends. Is that cool? Number four, since the vote for Russia sanctions was 419 to three and Donald Trump still won't enforce them, please explain why you think that is. Next question, we know he lied to his supporters about having a health care plan with better coverage at lower cost. We know he lied about that. He lied about Mexico paying for the wall. He lied to his supporters that he never paid Stormy Daniels. We know he lied. So here's the question. If all of these ongoing investigations exposed extensive financial crimes in Donald Trump's past, including money laundering for Russians, would that Trump supporter in any way impact your level of support? Would the revelation that Donald Trump had lied to you about even more stuff affect your support? Here's another good one. If your spouse treated you the way he treats his, would you stay? And finally, ask this for uh, some of the more interesting sports fans who love Donald Trump in your life and don't like Colin Kaepernick. Do you stand up in your living room while the national anthem is playing on your TV? I'm John Fugel saying I hope you'll follow me at, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter. Um, likewise, I have a website, johnfugelsang.com. We have a terrific merch store, uh, all kinds of resistance swag and funny bits of whimsy. I hope you'll check out our store. I can promise you shipping is free. And unlike Donald and Ivanka Trump, my merch is 100% made in America. As the weeks go by, we look forward to bringing you a new podcast every week where it'll be a different kind of coverage of the week's stories with all kinds of great comedians and your voice as well. Thank you for being part of Sanity, and I leave you with the words of Ivan Turgenev. Uh, he was a Russian novelist and a short story writer and a poet, and he was born in Russia in 1818, a very eventful time to be born in Russia. If we wait for the moment when everything absolutely everything is ready we shall never begin i'm john fuelsang see you next time